Well, where do we go with a psalm that is so familiar to us? A psalm that has become uh, the song not just of the church, but actually it's become a song of society and culture. It's one of the songs that even in uh, particularly services, funeral services, that aren't even necessarily um, particularly Christian. It's a, it's a song that often appears, a, a song that for generations has become so familiar to us. Where do we begin? Well, when we think about the song of a shepherd, then who better to understand and pen the words of a, a psalm, or who better to understand what a shepherd might do than a shepherd themselves? And David was a shepherd before he was king of Israel. And the Bible talks about being David being a shepherd of the people of Israel, the people of God. David was a shepherd of sheep. That, that's how he grew up. He, he grew up in the fields shepherding sheep. And so this song, this psalm comes out of lived experience for David as one who cares for and tends to his sheep in the flocks that he oversaw as he was growing up. The shepherd cares for his sheep. And so this song then focuses on that tender caring that God has for his creation, for humanity, for us as his children. And so we're just going to take this through a few verses at a time and just make some comments about what does this mean for us in our understanding of who God is. So let's read verses 1 to 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes or restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Now, why the shepherd, apart from the fact that David has experience as a shepherd? Well, I think David's psalms often use distant titles, maybe things that we're less able to connect with. He, he often used titles like king or lord or deliverer or impersonal metaphors, comparisons like God is my rock or my tower or my shield. And all of these titles are all very true, but they, there's a little bit of a distance about them. But there's something about the shepherd that's very personal. That the shepherd is among the sheep. And he leads them from among to then being in front. So that they follow in the right direction. It's a far more personal metaphor. The shepherd lives his life with them all the time. His flock is everything to him. And he is everything to them. They need him. He helps to provide for them. He takes them to the places where they need to be. He offers protection for them. He is a preserver of their well-being and of their life. He's their guide, leading them in the ways that they should go. He is their guard. The shepherd is even their physician. Interesting reading this week about the role of a shepherd is, is that they did carry ointment with them wherever they were going so that they could treat the wounds of the sheep. 
And so when you get to that bit that talks about anointing with oil, we'll talk about that in a moment, that could mean a number of things. And one of the things that it could mean is the healing that is brought as the shepherd looks after the sheep. It's altogether a much more personal God getting his hands dirty among his people, his sheep whom he cares for. He enters into the midst of them as provider and protector and preserver, as guide and guard and physician. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I am not in want. Because his presence, what he gives, is what I need. But it goes on to say more about this shepherd and what he does. And I think sometimes the biggest challenge that God has today in our society and in our culture is our busyness. We're all in such a rush and we're all so busy all of the time. And it talks about him making us or leading us beside still waters and into green pastures. Now that, that creates a picture of rest. But the truth of the matter is most of us are so busy to have time to let God lead us to places of rest. I love the fact that the NIV translates it. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There have been times in my life where God has had to put me literally almost on my back for me to rest so that he can give to me what he needs. And I wonder if in our busyness, we miss the role of the shepherd and what he wants to do. He wants to lead us to make us so we can lie down in green pastures so that he can restore our soul. Our busyness can be a real hindrance to the refreshing of our life from God. And in some ways, our busyness can be driven by a trust in ourselves rather than a trust in God. But, but when we choose to stop the busy and rest with God, do you know what we're doing? We're saying, God, I'm going to trust you with all that other stuff that I'm always so busy about. And I'll just spend time with you so that my soul is restored and I am given what I need so that when I return to the things that I'm busy about, I'll be more ready to face them. Busyness is a killer for the Christian. Letting God lead us to quiet waters and green pastures can be challenging when we always live the busy life. I love the picture in uh, the story of Jesus with his disciples, Mark chapter 6. And Jesus has sent his disciples on a, a short-term mission trip. He said to him, I want you to go out in twos. I want you to declare the kingdom of God is near. Forgiveness for sins. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. And then when they came back, he wanted to meet with them. Now, there are times when Jesus does this and they come back and he, they, they talk about it. But in this situation, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus, when they come back, Mark 6 and 7, he welcomes them back and he says, Let's retreat to a quiet place where we can rest. 
So having sent them out in this great mission trip, which, which would have been exhausting, exhilarating but exhausting, his first response when they come back is not to quiz them, it's not to grade them. How well did you get on with casting out demons? On a scale of one to ten, how well did you cast out a demon in this last week? How many people did you heal? No, instead, he receives them back and he says, let's go to a quiet place. This must have been exhausting for you. Let, let's go to a quiet place where the shepherd can deal with the sheep and tend to them. Where we take them to green pastures and quiet streams where he can restore their soul. Writing about Jesus' response to the disciples in Mark chapter 6, I read this by a guy called H.B. Charles. This is a wonderful picture of concern, gentleness, and wisdom from Jesus. After the disciples told him all they did and taught, Jesus did not grade their efforts. He didn't use this as an opportunity to teach and train the disciples. And the Lord did not immediately give them their next ministry assignment. Jesus was most concerned about the toll it was taking upon them. So he bid them to get away from the crowd, retreat to a quiet place, and rest from their labors. And then he quotes a guy called Vance Havner, who said it well, if you do not come apart and rest, you will simply come apart. If you do not come apart and rest with the shepherd, you will simply come apart. Jesus speaking about the culture, the society that he saw around him, described them like this. They are like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. And I sometimes wonder if that is the condition of the people of God as much as it is the condition of the society around us when God really needs to lead us along quiet waters and into green pastures to restore our soul for what is about to happen next. And when we practice that, when we allow God the space and the time, we will begin to know his voice. Again, Jesus talking about this relationship between shepherd and sheep. Is that he says, the sheep know my voice. Would, would you know the voice of God if he spoke? Would you know the voice of Jesus if he spoke? Or are we too noisy and too busy to discern what Jesus might have to say to us? The sheep know my voice because they spent time with him in the place of green pastures and quiet waters. Well, there's two ways of seeing this way in which God restores or refreshes our soul. Um, he can do that in a number of different ways, but I want to think of two very specifically this morning. Uh, first of all, one of the ways in which a, a shepherd would work with his sheep is that sometimes he has to go get them. He has to retrieve them. He has to bring them back. Sheep have a terrible tendency to wander, and then once one wanders, what happens to the rest? They follow. And so sometimes what the shepherd has to do as he's watching is to go and retrieve the wandering and wayward sheep. That's the reality of our lives. God pursues us in love. And so that when we wander, 
he, he goes after us to bring us back in again. You ever thought about God doing that in your life? As a shepherd retrieves his sheep, so too God and his relationship with us as his children. When we are prone to wander, God is pursuing us, calling us back. wonder if some of us this morning need to hear that retrieving voice of God. Come back. Now, sometimes God has to be a little more forceful about it. We'll see that in a little moment. And he, he has to get a hold of us to bring us back. But I want to say to you, God's arms are always wide open to bring us back. Where are we, people of God? Uh, do you need God to retrieve you again and bring you back into the safety of the fold and the safety of the shepherd? The work of the shepherd to retrieve. He goes to find you. God goes to find you so that he can bring you back to the safety, the sanctuary, the sanity, and the sanctity of life with him. I love that, that, that word sanity. Um, I, for, for most of my ministry, I, I was involved in the east end of Glasgow, and particularly in the area of addiction and recovery. And in anyone who's familiar with the, the 12-step program and the fellowships like AA, NACA will recognize some of the steps that I'm about to share with you. Step one uh, of the 12 steps in Alcoholics Anonymous and the other anonymous groups is this. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Well, I don't know if you're able to say um, about alcohol, but certain times where I need to say my life is unmanageable. And acknowledge that before God. Powerless and unmanageable. Step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That's a great phrase, isn't it? By the way, all, all of this is out of the scriptures. But Bill Wilson, when he was a Christian who, who wrote these. But to restore us to sanity. That, that he would bring us back, the shepherd retrieves us so that we can come back and into our right mind. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. That intentional decision, I am going to turn all of my life over to God. The retrieving God so he can restore us back to sanity and back to sanctity. That is the beauty of purity and holiness. It, it does seem to be that the culture we are in suggests that anything goes, but actually there's a great beauty in saying not everything goes. There's a beauty about purity and holiness. Actually, I think in the end of the day, it's what we long for. We just don't know it's what we long for. And he wants to restore us and retrieve us back into holiness, that reviving of us is a deeper renewing of our lives. And it's more than rest or peace, although it's that too. But the restoring, when he retrieves us and he, he brings us back to the sanctity, the holiness, the purity of life, sometimes that takes discipline. And part of the shepherd's job was discipline. So I've been all nice about the shepherd up until now, but the shepherd needs to exercise some authority and discipline over his flock, especially when we're prone to wander 
and become wayward. Now, that's an awful lot more difficult to welcome into our lives, isn't it? The discipline of God, the discipline of the shepherd. But we need it. We need it to bring us into that sanctity, that purity, that holiness that also restores sanity to us. The beauty about holiness is, is it makes us more whole. We see things clearer. We feel things clearer because it's what we were made for. And so we need the guidance and the formation and the instruction and the discipline and the confrontation that might come from the shepherd who knows what we need and may have to discipline his sheep. And he disciplines us so he can lead us in the paths of righteousness. Right paths. Because we're prone to wander. People of God, don't, I, I want you to know that the loving shepherd loves, but don't dismiss him when he disciplines. It's for our good. And some of us don't want any discipline. We just want to be able to live our Christian life and kind of do what we want. And as long as we can come back and have that lovely experience of the Spirit, then we'll be fine. That's not how this works. The shepherd must discipline his sheep. And at times, that means that he will have to confront us or deal with us. But we need it. And it's for our good. It's for our good, but for his namesake our good, but for his name's sake, because we want to honor him and honor his name and make his name famous. We don't want to shame his name. It's for our good and for his glory. And so I want to say to you, don't dismiss the discipline of God. Don't go in a huff with God when he pulls you up about something. We need it because it leads us in the path, not just of sanity, but of sanctity, of sanctification of the holy life. Well, let's go on. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. Here's one I prepared earlier. They comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, we move from the shepherd and the sheep more towards like a traveler and a companion as we begin to take on this idea that God walks with us and therefore we fear no evil. Even though I walk, now there's an assumption there that we're all gonna have to face dark valleys. We're gonna face places of death. That's the reality. But as we do so, God walks with us. <clears throat> we can't escape struggle, but his presence is with us in the struggle. <clears throat> Valleys of darkness imply that there's all kinds of circumstance that can bring its own sorrow and struggle. And then the literal translation, the shadow of death, the fact that we have to face the reality of loss, and our own mortality. But God is with us. And here, the, the shepherd is no longer necessarily leading out in front, but he's, he's within the flock. There are different 
places that the shepherd has to be at different times. But, but here, David is writing about those times where the shepherd is very much in the midst of us, walking alongside as a close companion. In the same way that we see Jesus walking with his disciples, walking among them, talking with them. Or the picture of the Holy Spirit that we find in the New Testament. In John's gospel, from chapters 14 to 16, we come across this beautiful word for Jesus uh, teaching about the Spirit, where he talks about the Spirit as the paraclete. Parakletos is the Greek. That means the one who's called to come alongside. Isn't that beautiful? The Holy Spirit as God, the one who calls, is called to come alongside us. The companion of the traveler who has to go through valleys of darkness and death. And in time of need, companionship is good. In fact, it's necessary. Sometimes even just their presence can be enough. God is present. But he's present and he's armed. Your rod and staff will comfort me. What does the rod do? Well, that's the armory. It's like a club. I should really have, I call this the baseball bat of God. It's kind of, you know, what we used to use and have around in the East End of Glasgow, you know. But but what was it for? It was to protect the sheep. And there's something about the strength of God that comes alongside and is among the, the sheep as a protector. But then back to discipline, he also carries his staff because there are times where he has to retrieve, where he has to guard, but also where he has to discipline them. I'm not talking about necessarily beating them. I'm talking about the fact that he has to manage them in particular ways and directions. That that if they run to somewhere that is a danger, that then somehow he has to reach to grab and pull them back. It's the disciplining for the goods of the sheep that the shepherd has to do. It's the protection of the companion as they walk. The traveler walks through the valley of the shadow of death. A staff, a hooked stick to rescue, but also to direct and to discipline, to make sure that they're on the right path. You imagine all these sheep (laughs) wandering all over the place and the shepherd just grabbing them and then moving them back in, grabbing them and moving them back in and then causing a blockage here and a blockage there. Don't dismiss the discipline of God. It'll be for your protection. And who knows? Who, when I get to heaven, I, 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 I'm going to ask, what was I spared from because you disciplined me? What did I not have to walk through because you disciplined me? Rod and staff, they comfort me. But the valley of the shadow of death also now needs to be seen through the New Testament eyes. So even though we have to walk through the valley of shadow of death, we also have to walk with our own mortality. But when we look at this through New Testament eyes, we are reminded that Jesus has already conquered death. So the grave doesn't hold the the dread over us that it might. Because Christ has already overcome death. Resurrection is alive. And Jesus, the shepherd, has taken death and overcome it. And so when we look at this from a New Testament perspective, 
We understand that the valley of the shadow of death holds no fear over us anymore because for those of us who are in Christ, we have found that entry into the eternal life with the Almighty God and the perfection. And so Christ has broken that curse of death. And so we might read some scriptures here from the New Testament, from 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, those in Christ in the shepherd will fear no evil, for he is with us. Thanks be to God. Well, we move from the shepherd who is like a companion who walks with us in the traveler, as the traveler, even through death to these last few verses of Scripture. Verses uh, 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The image goes deeper again, from shepherd to companion, even in death, and now to host, the shepherd becomes a host where there is welcome, the welcome and open hospitality of God. The victor over death now becomes the one who welcomes to a banquet, a victory banquet, a banquet of celebration. The victor becomes the host, the one who welcomes us. And in the Old Testament, eating at a table with someone would be regarded as, as kind of like a, a binding together of host and guest, the sharing, the binding of hearts and lives, a union, a communion together, host and guest. It was an expression of a deep love and a deep loyalty from host to guest, a covenant is shared and made at a table in Old Testament where host and guest express commitment and covenant to each other. And that's the picture of this victory meal or banquet to which we're invited with God as the guest. We're invited to this bond of protection, a bond of, of friendship, that personal relationship with God. That's what is being celebrated. It's what Jesus celebrated with his disciples again in John 15, 
where he talked about them, you are no longer, I no longer call you servants, but friends. That's a different relationship. Servants are told what to do and when to do it and how to do it and where to do it. But friends, that expresses a different closeness and guest and host together is a picture of intimate love and loyalty and friendship. And the psalmist says, God calls us into that now and forever. So this is not just an acquaintance or a temporary companion who walks a little bit of the journey with us, but this is a journey with the living Lord now and always. And it's a great celebration. Uh, the table is set. Picture a banquet, uh, not just a quick bowl of soup, but a, but a banquet spread before you. We're talking about abundance. And your head was anointed with oil. And we move from the, the, the oil necessarily being healing, although I think the, the psalmist is hitting on something of the healing of God, but, but rather the, the anointing of oil over somebody's head was a, a customary way of honoring them. I find this astounding that God, that Jesus the shepherd would anoint us with oil to honor you, me, as his guest. What an amazing picture. Not just that we might want to honor Christ, but that he would anoint us with oil as if to honor us. And that your cup overflows. I, I, I tried to find my quake this week. You know what a quake is? That's the Scottish cup that we give a, a drink from when we welcome or say goodbye to someone. And the saying goodbye sit with a quake means make sure you come back. My cup overflows. My quake overflows. It's a cup of hospitality. Again, the abundance that God brings for us to drink from. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely, folks, don't doubt the love of God for you. Live into it. Don't doubt the love of God. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. And, and, and I don't know what you, you think about when you think follow me, but I think the best way to define the, the Hebrew for this word is that that love, because it's from God, pursues us. It pursues us. That's how God works as a shepherd to the sheep. Don't doubt the love of God, but live into it. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me, will pursue me all the days of my life. And there's more. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not just for here and now, but the shepherd who is eternal that place with him for all eternity. John 14 says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that? I am going there to prepare a place for you. Not just setting a table, <laughs> preparing a place for you. And if I go there, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Yes, we have the sheep and the shepherd in this psalm, but we also have the traveler and the companion. And if you're going through some of those dark places, 
or God walks with you. The shepherd who's your companion, even though you walk through the valley of darkness or the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because his rod and his staff will guide me. The companion to the traveler and then the host to the guest. That even in the midst of our own mortality, Christ has already overcome it. And he prepares a place, not just a table, for those who are in Christ. And this is our eternal hope and our present comfort. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and join me as we prepare to sing a different version of Psalm 23 that you'll know equally as well. We've sung it a lot. But as we do that and as we prepare for that, let me read one more scripture to you. From Romans 8:31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? For who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are the shepherd and the companion and the host. You are the one who walks with us, the one who prepares a table for us. And we accept the welcome to come to you. And we place our trust in you. Lord, forgive us for our busyness. We seek you in the quietness of this moment that we may allow you to lead us to green pastures and still waters that whatever we face, our soul might be restored and refreshed. And Lord, we don't dismiss your discipline. For not only do we want to walk in sanity, but sanctity. Not just in the sanctuary of your presence, but being sanctified in your presence, being made holy. So Lord, we place our trust in you and you alone, the shepherd of our soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?